This week on Auto Catch Up, we talk about Queensland's easing of driving restrictions and also could Channel 10 be leaving supercars high and dry in 2021? That and more this week on Auto Catch Up. It's another week of Auto Catch Up and um, I'm I'm Ash. I'm joined by Joel and Meg. Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Welcome back. Thanks, Ash. And uh, Mick McWilliams uh, at Low Flight Tech. Welcome back, Mick. Hi, gents. All right. So it's uh, it's been a bit of a funny week. With a lot of week, a lot of stuff uh, being released about some, um, you know, as we emerge out of coronavirus and um, those impacts. But so hopefully, uh, with some of these driving restrictions, particularly in in uh, Queensland, Mick, uh, have you been able to get out and about and um, drive some different vehicles? Yet again? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, so I, I finished off the Outlander um, this week and I did throw it across a bit of dirt and had a bit of a play with it. Um, you know, I think it does suffer a lot from the from the age of the platform, unfortunately, dates the, the powertrain, which is, which is pretty advanced and pretty obedient. Um, four-wheel drive lock works really well. Um, it doesn't turn it into a, a rally car or anything like that, but um, you know you can feel that the power is is there and you can use it effectively and you can drive the car nicely on roads. It's it, it does the business quite well. So when they actually upgrade the platform, that combined with any other adva- um, advances they make with the powertrain should make it a, a pretty cracking um, car actually. So I'm looking forward for that next generation. But then I got into the Corolla uh, Hybrid SX and GSUV suck. <laughs> I just, I shouldn't, like, you know, obviously there's good SUVs, but when you get back into a car, you know, I've talked about it the last few weeks about where the, what's the advantage of buying, of getting a traditional car over an SUV because the SUV wins all the, all the practicality um, battles. But it, it just felt like a rocket. Just so low and comfy and like, you know, I really like the way that it feels when you sit inside the new Corollas, the hatch, it Mm -hmm. sort of wraps around you. It's a nice little, um, you know, I've started a a theme this week on Instagram talking about um, the the baseline for for modern cars and the Corolla's got most of the things that you would need in a modern car and it, it feels new. Like one of the, one of the key points I point, that I pointed out with the SX is it's got LED headlights. You know, their mm. manufacturers are spending a bazillion dollars with their um, passive and active safety features, but you're still buying base model cars which have got the crappy headlights. Everything should be LED or projectors at the at the least, because seeing where you're going is a pretty important part of the safety picture. <laughs> You know and you'd think I mean? they'd be cheaper too, wouldn't they? In general, um, and and longer lasting um, compared to a traditional halogen bulb. These yeah, days. that's right, that's right. And even from a, from a manu- manufacturer's or a brand perspective in a country, when you have more than one type of um, component, so if you're upgrading from the from the base halogens to the LEDs to um, let's say lasers like you got on the Audis or whatever. It's three different types of headlights that you have to support. It's three different types of spares that you have to stock. It's three different types of potentially um, third-party manufacturers that you have to relate with. So there's a lot of support costs that go in the background as well that most people don't see. But if you can just get 
the good quality headlight and ditch the old stuff from the baseline. You're reducing your support costs for the manufacturer as well. So it allows them to spend money in other areas for the um, for the network, for the dealer network and the like. So, um, but I'm really enjoying having the Corolla. It's it's not super fast, but the combination of the power tra- of the um, of the hybrid with the um, with the 1.8 just it just pairs up nicely. It's a nice car to, to drive around, and you can. I drove it yesterday. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you guys are like when you get um, hybrids, but I sort of have an inclination that you want to be able to try and get the best possible fuel economy numbers that you can get. <laughs> yes, and yesterday, me, yeah. yesterday I just went bugger that, and <laughs> I just stuck. <laughs> Stuck the boot in. Well, I drove it like I like I normally uh, drive my old Subaru, which is which is parked up at the moment, probably mm-hmm. because of the way that I drive the Subaru. Um, but you know, I, ga- I gave the Corolla a fair bit of stick yesterday, and I still had to do. Um, I'm going into Brisbane and back, so I still did a bit of highway stuff, and I ended up with 4.3 liters per 100 k's, yeah. which is just crazy because I was I was Monza. You know, full throttle, seventy percent of the time. Um, it was, it it just lapped it up. It had, it had no problem. And there's, there's a kind of uh, example I think that they're setting with a vehicle that can achieve that kind of economy. Um, great seats and accommodation, good visibility at the front, at the back's not so flash, um, but. Low running costs, good comfort, modern motor car for twenty six grand is is um that's the modern baseline. I reckon Toyota are, are killing it at the moment. Well, Toyota are killing it at the moment in Australia anyway. That's that's no great statement, but yeah. Um, well, that's and, right. So yep. we the um because that's the thing. Toyota has extended their market share lead um as of the last set of VFACs. So, um, with a 48, I think it was a 48.5% drop in vehicle sales. Um, one thing was true that Toyota were definitely, um, holding them, you know, holding their area quite strong. They had a dip as well, but it obviously, um, I find that in Australia, the Toyota for a lot of businesses and a lot of families is now the default car, um, because they cover so many different aspects of, the market um, from your small, you know, from the Yaris, Corolla, Rav Four, Prado, Land Cruiser, like they, and and all of their commercial vehicles as well. Um, it really, really shows that, yeah. And and they are improving. I, I can't remember who did the article, but um, there was an article just recently talking about how Toyota aren't really they're they're the white goods of um, cars, but they're now like with examples like the Corolla Hybrid and probably with the the Aris crossover as well, which is coming. Um, that they're actually finding a bit of personality again as well. Um, like even the Grand Vio that I'm driving at the moment, it's got CarPlay and Android Auto, which yeah yeah. You know, um, last year would have been totally out of the question of having any of that technology included because that's just not how Toyota works. Um, So as they – I think they've come a long way. I think the the hybrid technology getting much cheaper. Um, I think we were talking about it not too long ago how, you know, you had to – a Corolla – sorry, a a Camry hybrid to make it – 
to have it make financial sense, it had to survive, you know, 300,000 kilometers in, I think it was five ca- five years or something like that to get your cost difference between the fuel savings yep. just from a regular Camry. Um, but when you're talking about, you know, like a almost like going from petrol to diesel kind of price difference to go to the hybrid um, and you're getting fuel economy figures like what you said, even if you're driving with the boot in a little bit and you're still getting 4.3 liters. Yep. That, you know, that kind of changes the idea around that you can drive it normally. It You might subconsciously want to try and get that figure as low as possible because you do feel a bit guilty when you see it crawl up. Um, but you can kind of just drive it like you normally would and still reap all the benefits. And no other manufacturer at the moment makes it as easy to buy a hybrid or an electric-based type vehicle um, across pretty much, you know, the majority of their mainstream line lineup. Yep. Um, well, they're bo- both of their biggest sellers are ex- excluding Hilux, of course, but, you know, Rav and, uh, and Corolla have both been either the best or second best in their segment for yeah. for years. It, it, it makes perfect sense that mm-hmm. those are the vehicles that you focus on to broaden their appeal and um, make them more modern and more... Um, um, you know, use that volume to make the technology more accessible. Yeah, or even yeah. things like um. So the so I've I've been driving the the Toyota Grand Vier and the um I had a brief stint in the Porsche Cayenne, mm. and um what was quite funny about the Grand Vier is that it's it's got eight seats, but you also have a, a USB port for every single seat in the back. I know. Um, so it's, everybody. It's awesome. So if everybody's stuck to, you know, if you've got a loaded car of a sporting team or something like that, um, you know, everybody could have a USB cable and be plugged in for a really long road trip and nobody would complain at all. You know, um, you, could run, got, you could run a, um, an e-games tournament in there. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got lights, like kind of like the airline, you know, what you'd find on a plane, the little spotlights, the reading lights yeah. in the back. Um, you've got plenty of air conditioning I was really surprised. Like, I only picked it up yesterday, but I was like, oh, man, this is cool. And I and I have to – I'll upload it later today. Um, but I did rec- I did record a video showing the um, the middle runway, the blank um, oh, yeah. walking area, but playing um, a, a voiceover from an airline, you know, oh, the ex- there's, a, there's an oh, exit, yeah, the exit, rear, there's there. exit <laughs> to the side. And if you follow – if you know, your closest exit may be behind you. And if you look down and follow the floor, you know the, the, the path is illuminated to your closest exit. Um, Are you surprised about how it drives? Because it is big, but um, I found like the turning circle is amazing for a vehicle yeah. that long. You yeah, can do I, you can do three point turns, no problems. Yeah. Well, um, I got my. Um, so when I had the patrol, my sister is one of those people who is like, oh, she 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 likes driving, but only in a vehicle that she's really comfortable in, yep. and um, she didn't want to drive the patrol at all. It was just too way too intimidating. But then um, when I when she saw this one, she was like, oh, okay, can I drive it? And I was like, oh, are you sure? Like this thing's bigger, you know, it's it's yep. longer, wider, taller. Basically, every dimension you could think of is bigger. And um, she handled no problem. <laughs> it's like reversing the thing. The only thing it's yeah. missing is probably like a 360 camera. Um, but that's really kind of it. Like, it's got most things, and that's just like the entry 
entry model. Um, I'd really love to see the VX, which is the like their premium Luxo build yeah. with leather and everything like that. Because I think that would be. I've seen photos of it and it looks cool. I don't know um, how many people are racing out to buy that version over just the standard model. Because most families, I think that would suit large families anyway would suit the entry level one um but i, yeah. I was like oh man i i could be a uber drive with this this would be cool i'd love to do that um because it's, yeah, it's funny yeah it's but like a it's built, off, it's built off the high ace isn't it yeah 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 so that's i think it picks up a lot of traits like that but i think toyota have done a really good job of going through and not making it feel like you've just bought a converted high ace i think that's that's probably the biggest thing which I've seen with some other vans other times or it's just like, look, we've got a floor, we've got some bolts, let's put some seats in and um, we'll call it a passenger vehicle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's, um, you know, i got a bit of a coaster vibe out of it, you know, the old coasters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> from, from the outside, I thought, oh, this is going to be very, very bussy. But yeah. the actual, like, inside when you're driving it and everything, it doesn't feel, um, well, coasters felt very old because they were a very old platform and they ran forever. But the it, it just, you know, I, I felt in full control of the vehicle at all times. I felt mm-hmm. like I could see everything except maybe the, the very extremity because trying to turn your head all the way around when the back corner is so far behind you, yeah. um, there, there's a lot of, lot of yoga going on there. But... Uh, <laughs> But I was I was amazed at how easy it was to drive and how easy it was to um, to maneuver. It was it was yeah. a really comfy, relaxing drive. Mm. Aside from you know, like I said at the time, they've basically used the um, the extremities of a parking space as the outline yeah. for the design and just put seats in the middle. But, I'll have yeah. to drive to um, Costco to to really feel like I'm using it. Um, yeah, make sure you load a pallet of um, toilet paper in there as well. Yeah. You should be able to get it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, but then on the flip side, so the Porsche KN, um, we had a we had a vehicle in getting a recall done, and um, so it's always like, well, what loan car? You know, it's like the loan car lottery, um, and I always secretly hope it's going to be because I, I have seen it in the dealership before where they've had you know Boxsters, Caymans, and 911s as the loan car, but it's like oh, I wonder how special of a customer you have to be to get one of those. Um, yep, because it's not always very fun when you get the same model car it's it's kind of like give me something different give me something you know um to experience and so um they put us in the in the kn and um it's just i'd love to do a driving holiday in that thing it's just so comfortable um it doesn't it's just the standard can so it doesn't have it's got okay performance it really you really have to put your foot in to get some serious acceleration going um yep. there's no lot of there's not like a, a huge amount of um torque coming from turbos or anything like that really down low you really have to rev it out a little bit um but saying that took it up mount tambourine and 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 had a really great drive really enjoyed it um and yeah i would love to do a proper driving holiday on that um, because it's just, yeah, I, once you settle in and you let the cabin surround you, because it's got wonderful big digital screens now, um, and it's really cleverly laid out so, so that dash which you look at is um, in the KN. It's the same as the 911 dash, 
Um, so you've got like the five um, dial areas. But what they've done is really clever. And so the two outside displays or the two outside dials on each side are digital. And the center one is the analog one. So that's your rev counter. Yep. And I think that's great, like very clever mix of modern and, um, you know, and traditional coming together. And um, on those outside screens, you can have it as traditional dials as well, but also you can actually, you know, have things like Google Maps open and fill up one complete entire right-hand side oh, yeah, uh, right. if you want. So I think that's really clever how they've done that. One thing I didn't like, though, is they've got a, lot, a big... Um, where they updated it from the previous generation to the current generation in the center where your gear selector is you've got all of um all of your air conditioning controls your um uh, driving dynamics so like your suspension sport mode and everything like that because one great thing about porsche is that even if you hit the sport mode button you can still customize the suspension settings and like you can fine tune everything just by hitting a button you don't have to dive through menus which i think is yep. great um particularly if you are driving on a spirit of driving oh man this is really a bit of rough road you just hit a button and you can change the the suspension instantly not having to go oh, asking your passenger to, to try and find the suspension settings yep. in the infotainment system. But yeah, right. the unfortunate thing is that they've gone for like a, a really shiny plastic and gone to like these touch sensitive buttons, which give like a little bit of haptive feedback. So it's kind of like the MacBook trackpads where it doesn't click per se, but you get that feedback. So you know when you've hit something, yep. but if it's, any time but midday, if you're driving in a particular direction, I guarantee you somebody in that pa- in that cabin is getting blinded getting- by the light <laughs> being reflected off that air. And yeah, it right. feels like for when Porsche is so meticulous about their interior layouts and, you know, they do – like the interior is great, wonderful, beautiful design. Um, but it's just it, – they must have – when they were choosing that material, it must have been a cloudy day. Because I can't, and, I don't and know. the whole several weeks of or several months <laughs> yeah, of testing. That's right. Yeah. Well, they they probably had their um their dash covers over all the time to stop the paparazzi and never uh, never actually got the full sunlight or something. Look, in 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 seriousness, that is probably a very real possibility. Um, mm. Given that you know they are when you do look at those spy shots of any vehicle being developed when the interior is pretty much finished they have those rag you know basically like sheets and everything covering it yeah. um but it is it is probably the biggest issue i've found having driven a KN a couple times now with that and it is always an issue for someone in that car whether it's me as a driver the passenger somebody in the back if you if you catch that lighter it's like someone shining you know the reflection of your phone um into your eyes yep. and um i don't know it's and, and I feel like it would scratch really, really easily too. Dirt, dust, oh, yeah. um, crumbs, you know, and then you've got to brush it away and you've left a nice big scratch in it. So I'll, I'll probably have to have a look and suss out a couple of used ones to see how they've worn um, and and because I'd probably hate to see how much that replacement cost is um, to, to get that switched out if you wanted to refresh it. But overall, great drive. Um that improved that design overall for the KN, I think it's so much better than it was previously. It's a much more correct, um, attractive vehicle. And so even, was it a 
Was it a diesel or was it a petrol? So it was petrol. So Porsche really gone away from diesel. Um, I think probably one little nudge in that direction was um, uh, the Volkswagen diesel issue, yep. um, which also affected Porsche and some some vehicles, same if it, same as it did with Audi. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think their engine development at Porsche has kind of negated any 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 upsides which Prestige diesel benefit for diesels. Yeah, yeah, and given that Europe is really moving away from diesel altogether um it's it's it kind of surprised me when other european brands are still coming out you know even with launch models with a diesel option because i'm going i don't know if that's really the right direction is it just the engine development is getting as far as some other brands but um yeah so porsche I think have um, come a really long way. Their, their petrol engines are great. They're just as efficient um, as I think previous generation diesels were. So, okay, it's so, like, so why, I was driving the Corolla at Monza, Monza throttle um, and got 4.3. How'd you go with uh, fuel economy for your K in after playing around in the mountains? Um, it was, Don't tell uh, me you didn't look. You looked. Yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I, I did reset the button on it. Um, so it was for so for the day I did um, about two hundred and fifty k's, which is probably a little yep. bit more than the dealer would be happy with me doing. But you know, hey, nah. um, then you know when you come back, you throw the keys and you walk away as fast as you can. Um, <laughs> but so about two hundred fifty k's of driving, we got it down to about twelve point five. But you know, it's it is what it is. You could get it down a lot further if you were just driving on the highway and um, you know doing your city run or anything like that. Um, yeah. Giving giving it the boot, I think that's pretty respectable. Given that um, a lot of other cars like coming out of the patrol, anything looks like it's fuel efficient. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. my my final figure with that, with after about six hundred and sixty k's, was um, sixteen point three liters per one hundred. Oh. <laughs> Um, wow. Yeah. That's so, pretty full on. Yeah. So that's, you know, so like 11, 12 liters, you go, oh, that's nothing. Um, but yeah, so for what it is in, you know, when you are driving constantly, like I didn't take it out of sports mode. Um, yep. That's probably one caveat that, you know, um, and, and given that sports mode really means sports mode in a in a Porsche, it's yep. it's like, you know, I think that's pretty, pretty reasonable, pretty okay. Um, well, it is. I mean, if you drove any modern car, even a, a few years ago, getting twelve liters per hundred k's out of it is is still good. You yeah, know what I mean? well, but we're talking about a full size Porsche SUV. You know, um, <laughs> oh yeah. You know, like that's if you're getting it under ten, you'd be like, oh man, this is amazing. Um, but it must mean you've really been, gr- you know, driving like a granny to get that figure. Oh yeah, um, that would have been for the older ones. So the the last one that I've got. Um, it's regularly under ten all the time, yeah. but yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I've got the V6 Camry next week, so I'll see how close I get with that. Yeah. Um, and Joel, look, I know you've been a bit quiet. We've, we've been talking on and on, but I think you can't you can't talk about anything you've been up to this week, can you? No, unfortunately, no, yeah. not really, because uh, the stuff hasn't come out yet. So, <laughs> um, I was only a helper during the week. I was helping out another photographer. Um, just driving and helping position cars and and uh, and stuff like that, and spent some time in the studio, which was good. But um, I've got some cool stuff coming up 
um, not necessarily driving, but uh, spending some time with some cool weird happening, all in particular in the not too distant few weeks, which I don't know how long it'll take before I can talk about that. But yeah, um, I've just been trying to stay low. I mean, Victoria is still in a fairly heavy lockdown at the moment. So um, yeah, I'm staying safe and uh, at home and just working in the office between when I'm out doing stuff for. Uh, helping other people out and doing my own work stuff. But, um, yeah, I've been watching some eSport and um, playing a bit of console stuff and then just uh, working in the business. So good that you guys in Queensland have been able to, to get out and, and do some driving and stuff like that. I think once we um, once the sort of things start to ease here, which is possible as early as next week, I think I might try and get behind the wheel of some stuff and, uh, and get driving some stuff that you guys may not have access to up there and just see what we've got. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... Um... I guess it's a good, really good segue. Thanks, Joel, for um, <laughs> it's the first bit of news. Where um, so from the sixteenth of May, Queensland is further um, lifting any recreational sort of travel restrictions up to one hundred and fifty kilometres. Um, so it's kind of like that's a really good range for going on a pretty solid, you know, sort of like a road trip um, if you want <laughs> and. Um, I just uh, just want to point out that it's been 50 kilometres for a while that you've been able to drive. Mm-hmm. Now, that's 50 kilometres from your home. Yeah. So that means you can drive 50 kilometres from your house, put a, put a piece of string on your door and then drive around in a circle. You've actually got a circumference yeah. of 314 kilometres. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we go to 150, we can actually do a not, you can do a 942 kilometre trip driving around the circumference of your range, you're never more than 150 kilometres from your house. So you can do like a 1,000 Ks just mm. driving around in a big circle, which <laughs> I'm not saying I've got that planned, but that might happen. Um, so, yeah. It depends, it depends on if you've got a hybrid or not, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Actually, um, yeah, fuel's pretty horrendously expensive at the moment. I saw it at $1.19 the other day, which is frightening. Oh, it's so frustrating. And <laughs> so I was able to top up the patrol um, uh, on Wednesday for, um, I think the E10 at that particular United station was 77.7. And then the very next day, it was up to 119. And I don't think fuel prices, I don't think the oil prices jumped that much. (laughs) <laughs> overnight no. um, and, and and now it seems like most other stations have followed that trend so I don't know I, it's it's funny that we're thinking that a dollar 19 a dollar 17 is expensive now yeah. um, but it's also frustrating knowing that just the day before it wasn't 10 cents different it wasn't five cents different you're talking you know 40 50 cents difference in price um, and when you when you're talking that, like that's a huge amount of fuel that you're not being able to put in. Yeah. You know, it is logically unjustifiable. Yeah, completely. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess it falls into that same theme that we're talking about with the with the easing of restrictions. They're obviously recognising that there's going to be an increase in demand. People are yeah. going to have to spend money mm-hmm. to get back to work. So you know, there's a lot of shops and things that are going to be reopening. Not a not a great deal, but um, you know, a, a large percentage are going to be. Um, getting back into the workforce in the next yeah. couple of weeks in around the country, you know, so they had that three-stage plan announced yesterday. Um, so demand's going to go back up, and I I guess the petrol stations are seeing 
you know, it's a it's a commercial enterprise. Mm-hmm. When you when you get more demand, of course, you're going to be able to put the price up because you know people have to spend the money. It's just um, it's just part of it. I, I know it's 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 a popular thing to complain about fuel prices, and we do get gouged and um, from time to time. And I believe this is probably one of those occasions because you can't allocate a um, a specific ratio of um, supply cost to to pump cost. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can. Um, well, it's been proven by how it goes up in weekly cycles anyway. Um, we've just got to eat it. But still, like you said, $1. twenty is still pretty good. There's going to be a lot of people getting back to work um, who didn't even experience the $0.80 cent per litre um, <laughs> yeah, a couple of weeks that we had there. Um, some of them are going to be sticking their heads out the door for the first time and actually seeing that it possibly existed or it might mm. just be a, a rumour to them. Mm-hmm. Um but still, I think uh, you know, a dollar twenty is still pretty good to be able to get back to work, and it's it'll it'll be good to see. Well, I don't know if it'll be good to see people back on the road, but it'll be good to see society getting back out into the daylight and um, starting to fire up the engines again. Get the yeah. I'm just not keen for the going. peak hour traffic again. I was really enjoying. Oh, it's um, been so sweet. Yeah, I was just really enjoying the the traffic run. Um, when picking up a new car or, or heading out to do some photos or anything like that, um, where yeah, oh, it's five o'clock. Cool. That's yeah. just you know, there's nothing Doesn't on matter. the road anyway, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so I'm really I'm, I'm putting together now some some content ideas around um, you know road trips on on where do you, where you can go. I'm particularly keen to you know head up the back way to Tatawumba and and those sorts of things. I think that's um, just to yeah. to get out a bit, you know, out of you know, for me anyway, out of the CBD, out of that, um, and even away from the from the Gold Coast, um, that kind of thing, just to get to somewhere different, somewhere new, get some experience from roads again, and I'm sure a lot of other people are. Um, so, but if you if you guys could go anywhere, like, and you can pick anywhere in Australia, what type of you know, where would you want to go for a for a driving holiday or road trip? Um, in a in a in, in any car of your choice, come up your way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that like, drive. I, I'm on a, uh, on social posted during the week that she's can't you know obviously with travel restrictions and everything and and whatever else you know the road trip is on everyone's sort of mind at the moment in topic and and she asked if you could go anywhere in australia where would you drive and i said i'd drive do the drive back to queensland it's been probably three or four years since i've done it properly um and i loved it i mean last time i did it i did in a mustang gt which was just a lot of fun um but yeah i i'm really keen to do you know the drive back up the coast through coastal new south wales drop around and visit some of the fire ravaged areas on the way and then um even yeah. head further north uh, depending on you know time and whatever else but i'd be keen to even do that drive and it's been a long time it's probably been 30 years since i've done it um but that drive from brisbane up to um far north queensland so um anywhere through that area or even you know between townsville and cairns and and that sort of area i think it'd be great to to go and go and do especially coming into winter when it's going to be cold here in melbourne yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. and you uh you avoid the incredibly wet season up uh in in far north queensland that that's summer and and the um the rain that we get up this way or further north from from southeast queensland but um yeah humid I, I actually love that that type of weather i'm from darwin originally but um 
yeah, I haven't been, I haven't driven up to far north Queensland. I've always found myself flying, like flying to Cairns and working out of there and a, and a few other things like that. But one of the areas I really want to do, there's a, there's a road called the Outback Way. Have you guys heard of that? Uh, that rings a bell, yeah. Mm. Australia's longest shortcut, they call it. Um, so <laughs> it runs from, from north Queensland down to southwestern Australia. It runs right through the, through the centre of the country. Um, All right. They've had some pretty significant funding over the last couple of years um, trying to get the roads not sealed, obviously, but um, but better quality gravel roads. They have sealed sections of it as well. Mm. But I want to I want to be able to take my kids through um, through that central Australia part, like getting yeah. into the – it's funny, you know, everyone's been in isolation and all that sort of stuff, and I really want to head to somewhere where there's no people. Um, <laughs> it seems kind of contradictory. But I want the kids to be able to experience the outback and just because there's a – I remember when I did it when I was a kid uh, going from Darwin down to uh, Melbourne and there's a certain level where you get saturated with the absolute barrenness of the landscape, like there's nothing there and then all of a Mm. sudden you just start recognising and appreciating all the little things you saw. Like I remember Dad pulling up from doing 150 in a 1985 2.8 non-turbo Hilux four-wheel drive, which is a interesting experience trying to pull up from that speed mm. but he saw a thorny devil you've seen the, those little lizards yeah they're, yeah, they're only like yeah. three or four inches long mm-hmm. i don't know how he saw it when he was doing 150 in a hilux but <laughs> he's looking for police that's why well no this this was 1980 something so there was no worries about police it was it was de-restricted there was no speed zones so um ah. but wow. yeah there's time <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, they only got rid of those speed zones, what, five or ten years ago before they made them actually restricted. Um, and they've actually had an increase in road deaths because people spend too long on those long open roads now. Yeah. Um, but I kind of digress. That's sort of the Outback Way. You can look it up. It's got its own website. They're on Twitter as well. Um, yeah, just look it up. They've, yeah, they've got like geo, oh, what's it called? Geocaches. Yeah, geocaches, you can go around and find stuff and treasure and things like that. Um, but I always wanted to get the kids up to Winton as well to look at dinosaurs and that sort of thing. So yeah. um, I'd like to get up to Outback Way and do that do that big trip. It is a, it is a long one. It's a couple of thousand Ks, but yeah, hey, it's so Australia. Wait, do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I reckon a week, maybe 10 days, I think, because you'd probably find – um, that there'd be other things that you might want to take little detours here and there. Well, how long would um, it take you to get out that way from your from you know from you got to out to sort of the border area? Um, in the Corolla or the Camry? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think up to Bella Wheeler, it's about eight hundred k. So I could probably do that in a day. Yeah. Yep. Like I mean, for me, I I put my range about. Um, a thousand k's a day. That's including stops. Okay. But I wouldn't mm. do that back to back. Even though no. my parents are nuts, they used to drive that. Like when they come and visit us from Victoria, that was um seventeen hundred kilometers, and they do that in one overnighter sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You could do it in the Grand Via. <laughs> you could actually. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, the other person could just climb could in the back and have a nap. If, if you've got if you've got four people in your family, everybody would have their own row. Oh yeah, I couldn't. I don't know how you'd go um, trying to break and dodge a kangaroo in something like that, though. <laughs> I think you just keep going. I think that's yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. brick. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. yeah, 
I think I'd kind of love to do the the um, you're going east to west. I'd actually love to go south to to north um, from Adelaide up through to um, to Darwin. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So same kind of- route that they use for the um, the electric race. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, because I think again, without repeating my uh, repeating you, basically the same idea. Um, I'd love to 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 really go. Um, and, and follow for me what I've sort of seen as like a fairly um, iconic route. Um, you know, times it was de-restricted; it's no longer that um, anymore. Unfortunately, I think it is at one thirty now. Um, yep. I think it's kind of like yep. a, a compromise no one's happy with, but it is what it is. Um, and again, yeah, just to experience that sort of um, that type of trip and, and, and go see some of those iconic Australian areas. Um, throughout there i think i think that should um would would be nice uh to experience but there's so many places i think anybody um would know in australia to go for a for a good driving holiday it was something that um before the cruise industry really took over um that was what people did here it's kind of like kind of like in america as well where a road trip was that's what you did you went out packed the car up and you know you You'd find what you'd just you know you discover things along the way and um, learn more about your country. Yeah, I've, I've found that um, recently I've been getting in trouble because the road trips have been more about the car and not about <laughs> taking the family for a drive. <laughs> Exhibit A was the uh, Outlander on the dirt roads last weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't going crazy, but I was probably a little bit above standard family mode. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's funny having a cruise control, which is just a pair of eyebrows. They just look at you and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, Good times. I'm keen to get back on the road, though. Yes, very keen. Very keen. Yeah, me too. Um, and I'm sure you are, Joel, with, um, as until, you know, further restrictions in your state and other parts of Australia, um, as they, you could say, act a little bit more cautiously um, to to lift those uh but let's let's dive into some other bits of news so um one new launch uh just recently is the volkswagen t-cross um so priced from um 27,990 it's the most affordable suv and the first german entrant in this compact suv segment quoting directly from the press release Mm. but it looks pretty good um in photos, I really like that aqua colour they've have uh, come out with. I think it looks quite good. Yeah, I, I, I struggle with these little SUV things. I, I guess I, I get them. I guess, but it, it, well, I, I probably don't fit. So that's probably where my problem <laughs> first starts. Um, that's the telltale, I think, really for you, Mick, is whether you fit in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, that's always an important watermark for anyone, I think. Um, but I'm sure that these will drive really well because the Volkswagens always do anyway. Um, I, I don't think I've ever gotten a Volkswagen and thought, oh, this is a bit of a, um, you know, a bag of old dusty rolls. So, you know, a one-litre, three-cylinder turbo, It's. I reckon that it'd sound pretty cool. Uh, the three-cylinders yeah. sort of seem to have a nice little mm-hmm. roarty noise behind them, mm-hmm. um, which led to the experience because I probably would be driving this pretty much like I am with the... Corolla hybrid, you know, seventy percent um, wide open throttle. 
So but any the... fuel savings, you you won't realize um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Even yeah. though you, you'd surely think that something like this would eat into Volkswagen's um, Golf sales. Because um, when you look Polo. at the price, so the 85 TSI Life, um, that's the entry level at 27,990. The 85 TSI Style is 39,990. Um, and both of those have that 85 kilowatt um, seven speed DSG tra- transmission. It goes through the front wheels. Very like when you, if you cut out the T cross wording, that it sounds like the Golf. It's priced similarly to the Golf, you know, in those areas. Um, it's probably similar sizing to a Golf, I would imagine, if given that it fits that um, compact SUV segment. So, are they mm. are they going to steal sales from other compact SUVs, or are they actually going to steal their own sales from another vehicle? That's just the one thing that sticks in the back of my mind um, when you're reading sort of where this fits um, into the market. I reckon it'll steal from other markets. I think that, um, look, I think people that may have had a Golf um, will move maybe up to this because people are saying they want something maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit higher off the ground. Um, so I would say that in that area within the VW brand, I think people will probably move maybe up from a Golf or have had um, a, a Tiguan uh, and have wanted to come down to maybe something a bit smaller um, and it's in a good price point. But then I think there's so much out there in that market now. Yeah. It just gives yep. another element to cross shop with, particularly looking at, I mean, this is probably 6, 3, 6, 30, um, the new Duke. Um, you know, there's 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 a fair bit in that marketplace to, to look at. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it does across everything else. I think this is a yeah, quite late. For Volkswagen to be entering this, you'd, I would have thought they would have entered this. I don't know. In my mind, I, I would have thought that they had a um, an entrance. Would have been right area. on it. We well, yeah. were quite early with the Tiguan too. Like they didn't really come into the market too late. They had Tiguan going for quite a few years. So yeah, it is surprising that it took them this long to to pick up this segment. But you know, I, we're talking about potential sales for these. I think this is a. Um, a parents, uh, you know, who already own Volkswagens, buying their their kid the first car, yeah. and saying, "Oh, you're not driving some other non-German brand. You're driving a Volkswagen like mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Here's a nice new shiny um, SUV, and it's kind of the right size for that. Good visibility for um, for learner drivers. Um, sits up nice and high. It'll be really easy to manoeuvre." fairly economical so it's probably going to be a nice um first car for some for some lucky kids mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah I, I i can't see that um pushing out to people that are you know sort of let's say plus 25 i guess um yeah looking at something this small it's not going to be really that space <clears throat> and i don't know maybe did I, I haven't really ever put a um an age constraint on Volkswagen. They've always been very broad in their in their appeal. Like Golf's, uh, um, you know, a midlife crisis right to a, a first car, to a rental. Yeah. There's no there's no limitation on it. Whereas I find these SUV ones, they're probably more applicable to specific age groups. Yeah. Yeah, and you can see, I think, when you look at the specifications and the price, they've really gone to hit a particular. Like they've been very specific with what they're aiming for because if you, that that entry level it's got um it's kind of weird to read so it's got um manual air conditioning it, it's not 
climate control. Um, you do have wireless charging um, in an eight-inch media screen, but anything like um, adaptive cruise control, blind spot monitoring, parking assistance, um, power folding door mirrors even, is all part of a driver assistance package that's $1,200. Um, and even things like the the sound and vision package, digital cockpit, so that beautiful digital display. Now, I know that's not going to be important for, um, for everyone, but at the same time, and I think this really leans into what you're saying, Mick, part of that sound and vision package, the premium auto system is done by Beats. Now, it's right. Not, so, and I think the Beats branding... Beats. A beat's still cool. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've got three kids. I don't know what cool is. So yeah. So I think. I th- but I think it's it's probably aiming for that lower, um, younger demographic for sure. Because that's the first time I've heard of a beat sound system. Um, and it's funny because they're owned by Apple, and we know that Apple have been sort of toying around with automotive stuff for a long time. But it's interesting mm. that part of the, one of their sub brands is um, putting out, or, you know, I don't know how much of it is badge engineering versus anything else. Um, but you know, yep. it's um, I think it's just interesting that that's part of you know one of the optional packages is adding Beat Sound System. It's not JBL, it's not. Um, bows or anything like that it's yeah i think that's that they're going for a very specific market um with that but it's yeah, also it's an interesting time. move though isn't it yeah like a, i mean beats that? are beats are good they're very expensive but mm. they're good because of the way that they tune the sound to the current popular music style yeah yeah that's true. Mm. So I do I do wonder how many of those entry-level models, when they land in dealers, how many of them, kind of like what we saw with uh, when digital radio and, and Bluetooth music was coming through when that was still like a, an optional feature for some brands, I wonder how many of the vehicles coming out um, into dealers when dealers spec them. I probably am assuming that the digital assistance package is going to be one of those things that are automatically sort of ticked on the yep. entry level um, because I think most people go, well, why doesn't it have that? I think that's a bit ridiculous because it is included on the next model up. Um, but I think it's just one of those things they'll tick the box anyway. And um, and I do, but I do wonder how many people are going to tick that sound and vision package because it's pretty expensive at $2,000 um, for, a, you know, like a $28,000, $30,000 car, um, you know, for that, you know, a Beats sound system in a digital cockpit. Yeah. But um, but yeah. overall, like, I think... So that's it. it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see. And also, um, we'll have to see what the reviews are saying. Um, I uh, haven't had a chance to, to get behind or organise anything with Volkswagen myself um, lately, but um, it'd be one of those ones to see... To, to watch for for reviews to see what people are thinking uh, once they get behind the wheel and ultimately see what their sales figures will be like too. Yeah, I hope it. Um, I hope it's at the the right end of the SUV versus car scale, closer to the car end of the scale, I guess. So, um, you know, taking advantage of the more upright seating position that you have in SUVs because of the shorter wheelbase gives you better visibility. You don't feel like you're sitting in a little rocket, though, which is something that I do enjoy in the Golf. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it's like. Hopefully it's, um, you know, keeps on with the trend of... Um, 
of Volkswagens and and excellent handling. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, moving on, uh, the next bit of news we can talk about is a nice little piece to see um, from MG uh, Motor Australia. They've uh, donated a fleet of vehicles to the southwestern Sydney local health district, so that includes Bankstown. Worrell, Camden, Campbelltown, Fairfield, and Liverpool hospitals, um, where they're using the ZS um, to transport PPE and essential medical equipment um, across. So that's a, that's a great thing to see. Um, not just, you know, stepping up and offering, you know, I don't know, um, free servicing or anything, which is, I think it's a nice gesture, but doesn't really mean anything because you have to buy a vehicle for that. It's great to see MG step up in a in a in a, in a tangible way um, of doing that. I think that's quite nice, um, positive for that area anyway um, of, of their community. Yeah, for sure. It's great. It's great to see um, companies like, you know, MG doesn't have a massive presence in Australia no. yet, but still they're willing to, you know, put the um, put themselves out there and really um, dig in and help out with the community. So mm-hmm. um, there's an, obviously a lot of areas that need a lot of help and it's probably going to continue for quite some time. Um, so every little bit helps. And I think this, this is a really good, um, really good contribution. They've really stuck their neck out. So impressive work mm-hmm. from MG. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great to see. From a group, from a great company that's um, that's trying to, to to really break into this market and trying to get involved as much as they can. Mm. And then in other coronavirus news, um, Zuzu, um, their their Thailand factory um, is resuming their production, um, which is which is means good stuff for obviously Zuzu Australia, um, who's based in Brisbane here, which. It's kind of funny. You don't see too many manufacturers based up here um, at all, but their D-Max and MUX, um, yeah, they've, they've been around for a little while now, but um, with production resuming, all I can think in the back of my mind is that hopefully we get a, an updated model soon, which I think there's been a few renders um, floating around. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to having, the obviously, their production back up and running um, and obviously implementing some, some changes with... <laughs> You know, health and safety um, in mind, but also at the same time, it's like, oh, cool, they're back in action. Let's let's see some new models coming from them. Yeah, they. Um, you know, it's funny because obviously the uh, D Max was a, or currently is a Colorado twin. Mm. For the most part, um, no, did see Colorado. Um, you know, deviate from from the um, twin space when they did an interior update. Um, they did some engine updates and a few other technology updates, and it kind of left the Isuzu behind as far as um, interior finish and the way that the vehicle handled and everything. It was it started making the Isuzu feel a little uh, a, a lot more dated compared to the Colorado, but. The D-Max has always been a pretty solid truck. Um, one of the things I found was interesting is so they had the um, – essentially the engine in the Isuzu D-Max is a detuned version of, of a light truck motor, like, you know, a three- to five-ton flatbed type mm-hmm. engine. And they've actually got a um, – oh, it's a reliability certification where they um, – you don't need to pull the head off it for half a million kilometres. So that's wow. the kind of durability they get out of their out of their engines, whereas the um, 
the diesels in the Colorados were, you know, they're, they're still pretty good, allegedly, but they didn't have that same certification. So there's just always been that reliability advantage that I've considered Isuzu to have. And, of course, the, the new one, they're, they're deviating completely and no longer pairing with, um, with GM. So it'll be interesting to see what the new model's like. They... Um, <laughs> You know, if they can maintain that sort of um, reputation as the as the tougher, more accessible version, you know, look, you've got the Tritons are the are the cheaper, um, the cheaper version, slightly lighter duty than than things like the D Max. The D Max has always been the most affordable heavy duty version of the of the LCV. So um, hopefully, they can still stick in that same space um, with yeah. a new platform. I think, I think they'll do really well. I think it's something that's um, interesting and probably a lot of people overlook when they are looking for a, a work vehicle is um, the advantage that coming from, I guess, Azuzu trucks and everything, and there's all a, a relationship there, that having that commercial vehicle background really makes a difference, like what you said, with that certification and the you know the approach to making a vehicle is going to be different yep. to you know a consumer vehicle it's like buying a um uh, an acer computer versus a hp workstation um they're both a computer they both have probably will have the same cpu in them but the build um, and, and the testing that goes into them is obviously very, very different. The materials that are used, the, the way that, you know, the way that they're designed has a completely mm. different approach, even though at the end of the day, they're both computers. Um, and I think that's something which I think even a lot of people, um, I, know, I, know, I know a few people who, um, who own horses and, and things like that, and they use Azuzu Utes um, simply because they just know that they keep going um, yep. and they can really push them. So, yeah, I think that's – I think it's one thing that, yeah, a lot of people m perhaps might overlook is that, you know, those sorts of things like the certification, I'm sure many people don't even know that those sort of certifications exist even um, if you haven't gone into the world of commercial vehicles and, um, you know, and, and commercial equipment, I should say. Yeah, you got to be a bit of a – reliability nerd to even pay attention to that sort of stuff too so <laughs> yeah, i'm raising my hand you can't see it but here i am um yeah but it's exactly like i said you know the when you're looking at vehicles the brands that stick out so toyota sticks out ford sticks out holden used to stick out mazda hyundai all those things they all stick out as car makers because they're good at building cars Isuzu should stick out because if you look when you're looking at like commercial vehicles because as you say you know like they've got a background in like commercial vehicles you drive around and you see all those flatbed trucks and the um you know the the trucks that are doing the courier runs between mm -hmm. Brisbane and um, Sunny Coast all the time. You, you sit on the highway, you look at them, Isuzu, 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 they're yeah. everywhere because you know and, uh, you know because they've been building trucks forever. So mm -hmm. if you're looking for a truck that does good truck stuff, then the Isuzu brand should be sticking out for you when you're actually looking for that product. Whereas somebody who's a car maker who's going to be making a truck isn't necessarily going to nail it the first time around. Mm. It, it might take them a few years, but Isuzu's got that heritage mm -hmm. in truck building that, you know, well, it sticks out to me anyway. Mm. And um, it's quite funny because it leads into our next story because we've been talking about Hyundai's Ute 
um, yep. for a few weeks now, and um, it seems like uh, like a, a bare metal body. Um, has sort of leaked a photo of it online, um, yeah. giving a hint at the design. And so they're going like a unibody style. So it's not like a separate tray or anything like that. Um, it's all part of the one construction. But now in this photo for people listening, there's no bumper, there's no wheel guards. Um, you know, it's pretty much kind of like if you take everything off it and just leave the body panels on there, that's what we're kind of looking at. And... Um, the styling, it has the potential to look really good. Um, it, it, it gives us no indication really about its, um, the, any type of the drivetrain that's going to be under it. Um, however, it obviously, the unibody style obviously shows that it is going to be a fixed tray so that for some people that does, you know, mean a few things in terms of practicality. Um, but yeah, obviously a I think limitation to your flexibility when you're doing off-roading and all that sort yeah. of thing. But yeah. I'm just looking at it and it, I, I can't decide. It's, it's very difficult to see in the actual pictures. Mm. whether they're going to be putting a unibody on a light ladder frame or whether this is the actual um, the full unibody um, design now with the integrated chassis in it. It's, it's kind of hard to tell from the pictures. But, yeah. but I mean, that's, that's what Disco did a couple of years ago. I think it was the Discovery 5 where they went to a ladder frame with a unibody mm. on top. Um, increases a little bit of the weight, obviously, but um, does improve your um, um, your MVH in the you know, interior and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But I, I still do think that. I mean, I remember talking about this a few weeks ago. Now that there's definitely a space there for a lifestyle utility vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's not a truck-based one, so I, I think this is where Hyundai is heading for it. It's, it doesn't really. It's not conducive with the other information we were, we were hearing out of Kia the other no, day. They were saying no. they're going to be building a, a proper workhorse, um, which well, makes me wonder and, if this is the same thing. When you go back and look at the um, the concept vehicle they had, um, yep. that Santa Cruz concept, and you compare it to the photo that's leaked, um, apart from the main difference of going from um, the – half door i can't remember what the uh the exact name is but kind of like um you open the front door then the other door opens out the other way kind of like a suicide door um this has got two full doors so even i wonder if they're they're considering having different cab options kind of like what colorado and, and and the ranger and everything has as well but in terms of the general lines it actually looks fairly close to yep. that concept in general. So even the way that rear window, the the, the rear bar that leads into the tray. Um, yeah, the turret still looks very similar. Yeah, yeah, so it all looks very similar, which I think is pretty reassuring given that that concept actually looks really great from a lifestyle vehicle point of view. Like I can easily imagine, you know, whacking a, a, um, a, a jet ski on the back of that and going down to the coast. Um, that's what I kind of picture or going camping at the dam. Um, that's what I yep. see coming out of that. And I really hope that um, it kind of makes sense for Hyundai. I know that they do have some like commercial, like they've got the IMAX and everything like that, um, or the iLoad, sorry. But um, I think Hyundai, it makes a lot more sense to have, you know, a, a, a lifestyle orientated <laughs> vehicle compared to a. Um, yeah. You know, a, a true walk workhorse that you know Kia 
is kind of perhaps forking this development off from. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I, I'm wondering if the um, the difference between the two will be um, essentially how fancy it is. Yeah. Um, I guess more fancy for the for the Hyundai side of things, but it, it is like we were saying before with the Isuzu. If you want somebody who's got a lot of background in developing trucks, then you look for someone who's been building trucks for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Hyundai with this product, it looks like they're going to be at the more of the lifestyle end, so the the family um, car and transport side of, side of things. So, you know, they should they should hit their mark very well for this particular vehicle it's not going to be the same vehicle um like hilux and the like no which which is probably smart because you know that is a very competitive um segment it does have the lion's share of um of it's not really the most sales but it is a highly competitive environment they've got very high volumes for the people who are selling in them Mm. um but there's if hyundai just threw another um, like commercial vehicle dual cab in there, it's not necessarily going to be white noise, but it's going to have to start from absolute ground zero. Mm. Where is this? The concept. Yeah. An alternate they could go for is rather than going like a four wheel drive, they could also implement, you know, um, like from the Santa Fe, the all wheel drive system. If they are going pure lifestyle, because um, that would mean in terms of from a production value and maintenance, you know, maintenance point of view, um, that should make it cheaper if they're leveraging that platform that's already existing and they're adapting it. Um, yeah. So that's another yeah. angle they could go for as well. Not sure if as many people would be excited or if they are going lifestyle, would people even care? Um, yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, the people that will look at this and the, the deciding factor will be... Does it have um, dual range transfer mm. case? Mm. So that'll be the that'll be the decision point between people going, yes, I can get away with a lifestyle vehicle because all I'm doing is towing a jet ski, or yeah, um, even a caravan you can do is fine. But mm. if you're going to go, um, say like Fraser Island or do some proper four wheel driving, you're going to go yeah. to Land Cruiser Park or something. Mm. You're going to need that dual transfer case, and that's mm. going to be the split in the market between that. those two decision points. To, to, to probably upset a few people, um, I, in a, in a previous job, we were filming a segment with um, the Great Southeast and we had, we took a, a Toyota Kluger and a Prado out um, to the back of Surame. They've got some four-wheel drive tracks out there. Mm-hmm. And um, to really highlight the differences between all-wheel drive and four-wheel drive. And um, what I what I think uh, a lot of people don't realize these days is how far all-wheel drive systems have come and the automatic gear uh, and the transfer cases in the automatic gearboxes um, yeah. have come. Because we... We took um, that Kluger, and everywhere that that Prado was able to able to go, the Kluger followed right behind it. We had no trouble whatsoever, um, and and we've taken we, we took it on some some fairly um, steep angles and and fairly challenging. We're not talking, you know, absolute hardcore off-roading here. Yeah. Um, but we are talking like fairly, you know, um, sort of mid-range terrain. Um, yeah. And um, it, it did a fantastic job and arguably did a lot more comfortably um, compared to the Prado. So I think yep. um, for the for the case of which 
perhaps the business case Hyundai are building for this type of SUV SUV could probably be fitting that a bit better. Um, but yeah, obviously time time will tell overall. Um, and who knows? Maybe they've done their research on you know looking at people who are buying Rangers, BT50s, Hiluxes and going, well, if the family's buying it, how many of those people are actually utilising the four-wheel drive capability in it or are they just still, they wanted a slightly bigger um, vehicle but they didn't want to go to a, to a larger SUV or a four-wheel drive um, to do that. And so, you know, the amount of times they ever flick that switch into four-wheel drive is they may never do it. Um, yeah, it'll all be down to whether or not your accountant can fit it into your um, <laughs> claim on it. Well, yeah. that's that's why everyone's buying trucks at the moment. You know, it's yes, a very, it's um, very much. Uh, oh, you've got a higher lux. Okay, there must be business kilometers. Mm-hmm. Well, Ram again had a very strong um, month. So they did, I think they sold 178 vehicles compared to Jeeps, 179. But when you talk about drop off from where they were at the month before, um, they still remained very, very solid um, for sale. So I think that fits that argument very well. And I didn't realize, mm-hmm. I, I went and actually had a look at one because um, it's been a while since I looked at the price point. And um, they fit very comfortably under that, you know, we, we mentioned sort of like that Land Cruiser argument. And yeah. um, you could jump into the to, – to either the diesel or the, the, the petrol version, 5.7-litre petrol, um, which is just a Hemi V8. But, um, but that was 103000 drive away, um, which is pretty, pretty good for a value argument if you're looking at, at that upper end um, of, yeah. of vehicle. What are you get? Do you get a lot more capability with the Rams? Because the you have to go to a particular spec to be able to go over three and a half ton anyway for towing, don't you? Yeah, you do. You do have to go up to the next um, level. Uh, but in terms of tray weight, um, you can yep. haul more compared to any other Ute um, standard. And I think that's probably the big um, difference is that people forget. Um, particularly when they're towing, that you've got to take into account how much your vehicle can carry as well as the, the trailer. Yep. Um, and I think if, you, if you're moving up to something like that, the Land Cruiser still is very much on par with that. Um, but if you want that extra tray space um, and, and carrying capability on that area as well, it can fit a pallet very easily. Um, a pallet or two and yeah. um, I think that's where people are it's really sticking or the ability just to to whack a fifth wheel conversion in there um, very easily yeah because that's where and I'm also, seeing a lot of- <laughs> also sitting in a Land Cruiser um, mm. so the, the 80 series versus sitting in a Ram is a very different proposition yeah <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah it's um, it's the bus or um or, you know, business class. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the difference. Mm-hmm. But no, but going back down to midget, oh, not midget, that's comp- broad, midget compared to uh, uh, a Ram truck, um, but the Nunez and Duke. Um, Joel, I think you're pretty excited about this one. So they've just uh, they've just come out with a new cap rating. Yeah, it's done really well. Um, I mean, but in saying that, almost everything you say now that comes out now really has to be, 
you would think would have to be five star. You know, there's not. We had the the Mustang, you know, from a few years ago that that just didn't didn't rate two stars. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, didn't rate well at all. But you know, for a brand like Nissan or any of those top ten brands. I think you you could not bring a car to market um, anymore in Australia unless it was five stars um, and unless it did well. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting to see the results from from its visit to Crash Lab, um, which is in Sydney. Um, if, which I'm pretty sure this is where this would have been, but um, yeah, the release actually shows the the look of the new car, which looks, you know, pretty, pretty cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the frontal impact uh, shot that's as part of the press release is um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Like, all the bags have gone off inside, but you look down the side of the car, there's virtually no deform um, in anything just past the front wheel. You know, the, the car looks pretty solid. So I think it's built... Um, yeah, that cell's really held up, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's super strong, you know. And they're saying that it's got excellent adult and child protection. Um, and, yeah, the side test had scored, you know, 90, 94%, so um, an 87% for child occupants. So, yeah, it's... It's pretty cool. I think this is a big, a big step for for Nissan in terms of what's coming um, for them. I mean, the the previous Dukes, you know, were a different design and a different look. Uh, this new corporate look, like we've discussed before, with the new look X Trail, where we saw those rogue images from overseas. Mm. Um, I think this is yeah. great. I'm excited to see what else comes out like you know obviously pathfinder is probably one of the next ones that we'll probably see uh an update I from like i would say long overdue yeah it, it's probably one of the oldest sort of design language cars mm. in their in their um range now the cash is stunning this new x trial is going to look absolutely brilliant when that hits um i did see that nissan are doing some really good deals on current model x trials so if you're in if you're in the market for an suv and um it's just jumping a little bit ahead on your buying advice ash but yeah mm. um x trials uh there's some really good deals out there at the moment um from mm. nissan uh Obviously, you know, because the new one is obviously company's going to be coming at some stage. But yeah, look, you know, their their range at the moment is 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 amazing. I mean, I was actually going through some old stuff the other day. Do you remember when we were selling the Pulsar here in Oz? I mean, that was a great car. But yeah, Nissan have just done so well in this SUV market. Um, that you yeah, there's something for everything now. That new, like you guys have both obviously driven that, the Qashqai and and the top mm-hmm. of the range model is just absolutely stunning. Um, it's great to see that the shot that they've used, um, for the of the driving shot, the G is that beautiful red color. That's that color is just stunning, and it's and- it's good to see though they've because I mean the original Duke was I think it had a five star safety rating as well, and so does this one. But I mean the original Duke only had a two star. Aesthetic rating, um, for me anyway. <laughs> I, <think laughs> I reckon they've gone to about four, four and a half here. The new one, it looks. Don't you reckon it's got a bit of? I don't know. It's like it's definitely got that facial feature with the two clear eyeballs. Mm. 
sort of sort of face. You know, a lot of companies are gone for that. Hyundai in particular now when you get the Santa Fe, they've got the eyebrow LEDs at the top now with the mm. lights sitting underneath and they don't quite get the proportion right. Kind of looks unbalanced. I reckon they've um, the Duke's probably got the balance better there with those little beady eyes they've got down and that actually looks, looks pretty cool. I think they've got the ratio right of DRL to to main headlight. Um, there's well, a few, the, few the, companies just trying to do that. On the first generation, I could never figure out which one was actually the headlights. <laughs> um, it's just like there's yep. three sets of eyes and you don't know which one. You know, it's like, you know, if you know someone with a bit of a funny eye and it's like, I don't know which one to look at. Um, that was kind of like the the Duke in my mind. But the current, the updated Duke kind of looks like, and this isn't to, to knock the design at all, but it's like if, if it, if you were blindfolded and you were asked to draw a mini countryman, <laughs> this is kind of like what somebody would draw, where it kind of, if you squint your eyes, you can kind of see it. But, you know, it, once you see it in clear, you know, once you see it in clear, you go, oh, that's, yeah, that's a bit that's different. Not it. it looks way better. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it kind of looks like, um, particularly in the, the red um, hero color, which they're using, yeah, in some of these shots, it kind of looks like oh, if you just see it at the wrong angle, yeah, have they distorted a mini um, to do it? But I think, it, but that's just you know, it's just making some fun. But I think it looks a lot better. I think uh, I'd love to see a Duke R version of this. I know that they're or a new smile game. Yeah, so I think they've they've said that a Duke Nismo isn't coming, according to just one of these headlines which I'm seeing right now. But I'd love to see something where they yeah. Because I think they've done a really good job with Nismo um, for Nissan, so I'd love to see yeah how how an, a really aggressive looking version of this would look as well. Because uh, I think it's got a good base. Yeah, not far away. The due in the dealership's middle of the year, so you know, middle of the year is effectively only next month. So um, yeah, looking That's forward to seeing how, how how well it does. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's yeah, that would be exciting. Um, and hopefully, because the original Duke had a bit more success than I probably thought um, it would have had. I see a lot more on the road than I. I always get surprised when I see one, and um, but obviously there's a there's a market out there for it, and hopefully this new design will um, attract a few more of those people. Yeah, you know I like those weirdos, like the um, what was the Kia Soul? I like the Kia Soul. Kia Soul, oh, yeah, yeah, I love that thing like too. That. that was a great yeah. little car. It, it was, was wasn't it? We got the yeah. electric version of it. Um, no, I know. Or the turbo. Mm. So the US had the turbo as well, which I think would have um, lifted things a little bit. But having said that, I really, I actually really liked enjoying the the standard two liter six speed auto. It just mm. it was the right size and everything. It sort of it fit in it's, really it's, good, and it was a bit weird. It's funny. I do the like soul, the, the the venue reminds. It's kind of like a spirit. I I think the so, the the venue is the spiritual successor because um, it's very similar in terms of dimensions. It's a bit, um, and I'm talking about the Hyundai venue. Um, if yep. you're familiar, the it's kind of it's 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 slightly boxy. It's very young focused for the demographic. It's got you know it has a few funky options. Um, I, I had the. Uh, have you driven the denim one? Yes, yes, that's the one that I, I had. It was, yeah. it was a cross between sort of um, 90s Yacht Rock and um, 
an acid wash jeans. I just, <laughs> it was it's blue and it's got like, instead of having chrome trims, it's got like white trims and white badging and slight little yellow bits here and there. I really felt like some sort of nautical theme going on or something, but yeah. But yes, I reckon if it's, it just has to be a tiny bit bigger for the, I understand why it's not because the venue obviously is the replacement for the, um, for the accent, which is now gone from the Hyundai lineup, your entry point is now the venue. Um, I wished it was just a fraction bigger for me, but that's that's just me. I can see where they're heading with it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a good size. I think there's plenty of plenty of space. Um, a lot if, of character. If you just have a couple of people in there. Yep. And you're not, you know, as tall as you are. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, but look, you um. You, you posted us a question, uh, Mick, throughout the week. You've, you've got someone who's looking to buy a car, and um, you, you're sort of getting the—I uh, wouldn't say it's a the, the collective group think. We're not that smart, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but you, but what was yeah. so so for for everybody listening? What 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 was the uh, right, your friend so- looking for? So currently he's uh, got a BMW uh, 125 hatch he's had for five years, so his lease is running out. Um, he wants something that's going to be a bit easier to get into now, so he's asked about the X1 uh, and the GLA, and he said, oh, you know, well, anything of those sort of um, premium small um, SUV type vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was saying like the oh, somebody else um, has a, a Q3, Q3 that he kind of likes. But what, what are your guys' thoughts on, on the differences between that sort of space? Is there anything else in that sort of area you think you should be looking at or are you sticking to GLA um, Q3 X1, I guess? Well, he's coming from that premium of being a BMW owner. So you, you're yep. looking at probably that same that same German brand. Um, I think we, we were chatting briefly. You did say Skoda, but Skoda was off the table. Uh, yeah, I think I did bring it up, but he didn't seem to be—he he didn't seem to be yeah. um, overly keen on so it. But maybe he just looking, he doesn't know enough about it. Which, if yeah. we touch on our conversation from last week, it's probably the general sentiment about Skoda, isn't it? Like great vehicles, but no one really gets excited about it. Yep. Well, yeah, until, so, you, until you get into one and or till you look at the pricing, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, once you get one and drive one. But I think to simplify the things, I think the three models you picked out are probably the the best to work with: the X One, mm. the GLA, or the Q Two. Um, look, with any of these things, you got to say to someone, you got to go drive them. Um, but you've then got to look at you've got to compare the levels of the three different models in terms of what you're looking at and how you spec them um, yeah. because how they're specced or how they're specced at the dealership is really going to be the big difference. You may walk in and look at an X1 that is specced a certain way, but then you go and look at a GLA, which is a higher spec, and you might get yeah. confused. So you really need to look at mm. what is included, what extra costs are for certain things, Um you know, what you want to get, whether you want to get, you know, I mean, obviously this person's based in Queensland, Mick. Uh, yeah, yep. So heated He's, seats is not necessarily a thing that you may yeah, or may not, not a priority for him, no. as opposed to yeah. someone that was buying in Victoria. So, mm, look, yep. it's hard. All three of those cars are great. All three of them, look, are very different. Uh, in terms of yep. the way that your seating positions and everything else is set up, the way that the um, the way they yeah, look. That's what I was kind of thinking about the so GLA versus X1. I assume X1 is um, more upright. You've got less headroom 
in the GLA. Yeah, so the, the key thing also is um, – so the GLA is very much a A-class, a um, but a little bit higher, yep. slightly different, you know, very minor differences in terms of dimensions, but I, I would say very, um, you know, kind of like fairly similar, not drastically different, um, yep. where the X1 is a bit more grown up in terms of an SUV. It is um, – it is kind of like a shrunk down X3 rather than I'd say a lifted um, one series. That's kind of yeah, like in my mind. It's probably really, not the yep. best description. A lot of um, BMW probably would like to describe it a different way, but that's um, that's how I kind of think about it. And then the Q2, um, I, I haven't had a chance to spend enough time with it, but just for me personally, it doesn't really fit as well as the X1 of the GLA, and it probably is translated because we, I don't see as many on the road compared to the GLA or the X1. Um, yeah. But in well, terms just- of, so what's important to also remember, I think, is so Mercedes has just um, updated the GLA. Um, so that's following in terms of the similar design language of the A-Class um, and the CLA and everything like that. So that's just had its refresh, which for some people that that really matters, um, where the X1 and the Q2 are, are, are just that one step behind. So the X1 is definitely coming up due um, to have everything kind of updated and and to match the current BMW design language. So the, the new cockpit, the new iDrive, um, exterior design and everything like that. Um, so yep. that's probably coming to the end. Same with the Q2. Q2 has been around for a little while now. Um, so it's probably due for a life cycle update or even a new model at some point. So coming from a five-year-old yeah. BMW, he's probably <laughs> going to be stepping up a lot in terms of what features he'd be getting even in um, an X1 right now. But yeah. If he, if he feels like if he's going to hold it on to another five years again, um, for some people that is important to make sure that they're on, you know, on a platform and, and in a car that is as new as possible. Because obviously a five-year-old GLA that's been released right now will probably fare a lot better when it comes to future value because, well, in five years' time, it might have had an update, but it would still be fairly similar to the GLA that's been sold brand new in the showroom um, where yep. the X1 is, and it's probably going to, you know, be quite a bit different um, to it. Saying that, that also can usually lead to, um, and I know that there was an article out not too long ago um, about BMW and the number of demonstrators they registered last last month. So there could be a lot of really good deals around um, because I've just registered a whole heap of demonstrators and, you know, they need yeah. to clear those off their books. So that's also, it also comes up into the value proposition and also depends on what level they're looking at. So the BMW, all, all three start roughly in the same ballpark. The Audi Q2, the 3.5 TF, TFSI starts around about 44,500. Um, the, the X1, the S Drive 20i, 48,500. And the GLA, the 180, is at 45,600. But it all obviously all changes how how far up the ladder you want to go, um, because you can go um, all the way up to like sixty two for the X Drive, uh, also the the two five i um, in the BMW, and the two you know the two fifty um, is about sixty sixty four sixty five thousand, um, and so obviously there's a and each of those step up in engine performance and and what features you get as standard, um, but 
I think in that space, like I really enjoyed that time. You know, we spoke about it a, a number of episodes ago. I really enjoyed the two five i that I had. Apart from just having then jumped straight into a, a two series Grand Coupe, um, I yeah, I did prefer the updated design language and the updated features that were coming as standard versus, um, you know, like a, a few year old, you know, a design that's a few years old. Um, so yeah, they, I guess at the end of the day, like what Joel said, go for a drive, but I, I would say the GLA, if they want something that's really up to date and current, um, yep. and I think it looks quite good. And if they don't mind something that's a little bit smaller X one, I think if they want that extra size, I think it, I think from memory, it is the biggest one, um, dimensionally yep. and probably been coming from a BMW, it'll be very similar. So there'll be, you know, there's no big learning curves or anything. It'll be familiar, but just newer um mm. and then the so just throw a curveball then when you go mm. into something like the x2 so obviously more more current design language than the than the x1 the newer design and everything would already be in the x2s are they got a significantly lower roof height because like access is is one of the things he wants to be able to i mean that's why he's going for an suv rather than the um yeah. another um one so series it's just getting in and out so the slope of the X2 is kind of very similar um, to – it's not as dramatic as the X4 or the X6, which have a really dramatic roof slope come off. Yeah. Um, but it is – you do notice it in the back, particularly if you are over six foot um, in the back seat. Um, it is something that you will be, you know, as long as you're not too worried about how messy your hair is, you, you might survive a bit better. Um, but – I think I, I I think the X2 is very polarizing in terms of design. There's a lot of people who love it. A lot of people don't. Um, yeah. In terms of design, interior-wise, it's very similar um, to the X1. They're kind of like on the same beat. Right, moment, okay. Even though the X2 was introduced um, a little bit later, it was kind of like the X2 was just released. Just a, It was like one of the last ones before BMW um, reinvigorated the design language yeah the with, language you know, yeah with the one series and two series and everything like that sure mm. yeah so there's it's it's kind of funny there's audi bmw mercedes have for so long come out with very similar products very yeah you know, they're very competitive so they're obviously yeah very much in in lockstep with each other yeah for the most part these small SUVs, they've kind of deviated a little bit. The Q2 was very much marketed as like, you know, if you're a, if you love to go surfing, if you love to be, act, you know, active, that's the one for you. The X1 is kind of, you know, if, if if you want that more space and you don't need an X3 or an X5, um, you know, it fits in very well and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mirror the one series exactly. Um, and then the GLA is kind of like if you want something that's a little bit taller than the A-Class, um, you know, that's that's the one to go for. So it's interesting to see how they've approached given that all three of them, like what we said, just have followed each other very closely or they've um, done a very good, very good job of keeping within, you know, within each other fairly similarly to allow some really easy cross shopping. Um, But your friend probably couldn't have picked a a more similar, but more diverse range um, of vehicles uh, to to choose from. Yeah. Kind of same segment, but different products really. Yeah. 
and also then it comes down to um, servicing. Um, each each of them have a different. Um, oh, it'll be released. So you won't be concerned about that. Yeah. So and that's probably in that regard. I think BMW has the best offering. Um, in terms of how they do the servicing packaging um, and the different levels of which they allow. So that typically they have two levels. So one is your basic, um, and this is the last time it could have changed, but the last time I looked at it, so it just covers your basic services for, and then you just choose how many years or how many kilometers. Um, yeah. and then, but if you have, if you do, if you are a bit more serious with your driving and you do use your car a little bit harder, they also have, um, or they used to, I'll have to double check, but they used to have a servicing option the next level up, which would cover things like um, wiper blades and clutches and brakes as well. So, <laughs> clutches. And, 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 yeah, and what was quite funny is that the, the cost difference between the two was kind of like, well, if you drive your car really hard, I'd go for that because it includes your, your pads and rotors. Um, well, then you, you want know, to get so, value for money, so you drive it harder. That's kind of well. There is a, there is a great story from a gentleman who used to who owned an M5 over in the states, and um, he would take it to a track day, you know, many times a year, and then just go back to the dealer and say, "Well, my 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 my, bat, my you know my my brakes are getting worn out. I need a I need a new set and new set of rotors." <laughs> yeah, and it was just part of the part of the servicing thing. So he was probably he was probably a bit of an outlier. Um, yeah. For for them, but he definitely yeah definitely used that program to the max and really. I think evangelized really well the the strength of that option because I don't think I haven't seen any other manufacturer come out with that type of you know that next um, step up in terms of uh, what it includes, which I think is quite yeah quite good. But, yeah, but at the end of the <laughs> yeah. day, look, they just need to drive them all, and doesn't matter what we say. Um, yep, because I guess people- access is probably the most important thing anyway. So I guess the easiest one to get in and out of is anybody. X1. I don't know. I, I think the X2 is not bad. Like, I, I, I'm not sure of the – I remember when we were looking at buying a, a Mercedes from my mother-in-law, She, we looked at the um, GLA and ruled it out straight away just because I didn't think it was easy to get in and out of. She ended up going for a B-class. Um, right. But, yeah, and then the BM, I think, is never really an issue. But, yeah, I would, uh, I would be probably led towards either BM – um, and even the X2 to have a look at depending on what price is because, you know, cross-shopping between the two of them at a dealership uh, yeah. or, or a Q2. Cool. Mm. So that's it. And we'll be uh, curious to see what they think uh, after they go and uh, go and drive some and hopefully make yeah, a buying yeah. decision. I'm sure that yep, makes you guys know how very happy somewhere. <laughs> he, he will, for sure. All right, so we've got a few, we've got a, about ten minutes before um, we have to all escape and uh, meet some obligations with the family. Um, but Joel, do you want to give us a bit of a wrap up on uh, the motorsport news? Because again, it's another packed week of um, of events online. Yes, lots are going on. So as we, as I said last week, we were on. I was looking forward to the World Rallycross Esports, uh, which was run last Sunday night. 
uh, our time in Australia. Shane Van Gisbergen did not disappoint. He was one of the guest stars uh, in the event. Um, Shane put on a phenomenal performance, some amazing driving. Shows just shows how much talent this guy has in the in the esports world. Um, he was just drifting. Uh, it was from Montalegre um, in Portugal, uh, which was an amazing track to to watch him drive at. Most of the races were wet, so the guys were really sliding and drifting around. Um, the end. It, it, Shane ended up finishing one race on two wheels. Um, if you check out my <laughs> Twitter, I actually took a photo screen grab of uh, managed to capture it and uh, tweeted it out, and actually got shown on the coverage. Um, one of the uh, uh, commentators actually, sh- I tweeted it to him, and he showed it live on the coverage, which was pretty cool to see. Um, but yeah, Shane finished one race on two wheels. Drove really well. Um, the 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 race the the event was ended up winning by Quinton Delonimo, who is an esports champion. Um, Britain's John Armstrong was second, and Shane was third after one of the other drivers was actually disqualified for some racing. Um, so yeah, that was fantastic. Really, really good to watch. Um, it's amazing. The two commentators that are who are the normal World Rallycross uh, are doing a great job. Uh, and yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant. Supercar round this week was from Spa. Um, lots of action again. Um, they simplified the process now, like I spoke about last week. They're now running just one track, but three races, a uh, short one race, a reverse grid race, and then a longer third race. Um, Cam uh, Scott, Scotty McLaughlin won the first one, with followed by Cam Walters and a wildcard F1 driver Lando Norris. Lando's mm. car looked sensational and drove really, really well. Shane Van Gisbergen originally won the race but was relegated to fifth after a last lap incident with Anton <laughs> Peoples Wiley. Um, yeah. A big, uh, a big incident um, pushing him into the wall. Um, you can read about it. Uh, 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 the, the whole story behind the process of how it was done and whatever else to allow for because the re- next race is reverse grid race, which is the finishing positions from race one. But Shane was basically left uh, as the winner till later so that he would then be easier to be relegated later on. So, yeah, it's uh, it's quite interesting the way that was all run. Um, the reverse is grid it, race... Is it just me or is Anton Di Pasquale constantly racing properly, getting knocked by somebody else who gets a penalty, but he still loses like three or four positions or gets knocked out of podium. <laughs> Poor guy get, he's, he's, had, he's having he's, terrible luck. He's not having a base. But he sh- just shows, you know, he's such a such a good racer. Um, one of the other um, wild cards was Brock Feeney, um, who drove for, drove a Tickford Mustang. Um, he drove really well and won won the reverse grid race, become the first wild card to win um, a race in the BPP Supercar All-Stars E-Series. Feeney um, beat Will Davidson, uh, followed by Gary Jacobson. And then race three, which was shortened uh, due to some time certainty, was won by Shane. Then Anton was second and McLaughlin was third. So um, great racing. Lando returns this week for another another go. And, and this week they'll be racing at the Circus of the Americas um, in Texas, um, which should be good to watch. Same format as last week, three races, same track. Um, so, yeah, that'll be nice and simple. They were going to race at Sebring, but they've dropped that to make it simple. 
Uh, Garth Tan is also the world card this week. And then there's also a celebrity race on Tuesday. Um, but I don't think they've given us too much about what's happening there. Lots of different yeah. sports stars, team owners. Um, Scott uh, Petter will be racing, uh, who is an ex-Australian rally champion. Um, if you check out the Petter's socials, uh, they've got a great um, mock-up of Scotty's uh, car that's been done by the guys from uh, SS Media. Uh, looks really, really cool in the Petter's livery. Um, so yeah, that'll be quite good. Um, I missed the iRacing um, International Subaru Series this morning, so I need to catch up on what's going on with that. Uh, that was the second to last round from memory. Um, but yeah, the other big news during the week is Channel Ten are thinking about walking away from supercars um, for the coverage. Uh, they're just not um, finding that uh, it's it's possibly of interest to them um, because of their new relationship with their new owners. You can remember that not that long ago, they weren't doing that well financially. Um, so, yeah, the current deal is uh, designed to conclude at the end of this year. So if we don't get a lot of racing in this year or what that deal will happen, who knows? Um, but, yeah, the it, it's in- interesting to watch to see what will happen because um, the – Channel 10 is now owned by Viacom C- CBS. The, the report is that, or the word is that they're no longer in, interested in spending money on a, on something like supercars when they can spend it on other programming and whatever else, particularly with the amount of stuff that they can provide down the line from their, mm. you know, Viacom CBS family. Um, yeah, so that's sad for those that, you know, that don't, uh, want to pay for uh, pay TV. Um, you know, yep. those of us that have uh, Foxtel, uh, I don't know any different. I had Foxtel prior to the deal. So um, I, I think I love it. Um, I know that a lot of my friends that did want to do the Foxtel investment have gone with KO, um, which, you know, they're suffering at the moment as well. There's been a massive drop off of subscriptions. There's no sport on. So people aren't really going to be wanting to spend the money on that. So, but, you know, hopefully the, the KO relationship obviously probably will continue because obviously the Fox tell relationship. So I think um, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, what happens, but mm. yeah, it's sad to see that we'll probably lose channel 10 at the end of the year. Um, in terms well, of that, it, I wonder is, could it be a bigger sign for the, for the trouble, which supercars has um, Holden leaving it, it. That certainly didn't help um, with the, with the lineup of competitors. Um, so in that same article on Speed Cafe, they talk about um, how Archer Capital, which took a 65% stake in supercars, um, you know, said they haven't really been happy with that investment. Um, and they they did try and put it up for sale in 2017, six years after they, they bought it, but then they shelved it. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I... I don't know, I, and problem is I don't know what supercars would be replaced with if, because um, I always feel like there should be something that should come in and and yeah, there's no real succession know, kind of, plan, is there? No, and because we we don't have the the level of even GT three like GT three racing is obviously very popular. We look at the Bathurst twelve hour and things like that, but we don't have a, a large enough second series per se um, like what they do over in Europe. Um, so yeah, I um, uh, unless there's going to be drastically changing um, regulations to open it up and make it a lot easier. So even if you could say that you know we go back to more like you know the days of the GTR and the E30 M3, um, 
where it was you bring a production racing yeah Yeah. rather than car of the future i think that made cost a bit more manageable but at the same time it it kind of took away i think some of the excitement that you know um which gt3 gets back a little where they have similar regulations which they have to meet but you do it with the vehicle that you're bringing and and you go for a different level of you know parity in terms of balance yeah it's it's so difficult these days too because i mean in the olden days when you had those olden days well it is the olden <laughs> days i guess but um when you have those when you have those mixed competitions you know where you have a whole bunch of classes racing on the same track at the same time for example mm-hmm. um the the level of speed i guess the level of safety has increased phenomenally as well but um Modern cars, even small modern cars, now go so incredibly fast yeah. that the that the modern cars that are the next size up go so so incredibly fast. And you know, the the level of speed that you get when you get into high performance cars now is massive. So the discrepancy between the tiddlers and the and the and the proper full um, race cars is so huge. The contrast is almost too big to make it um, practical to be able to run any series where you've got a whole bunch of different ones. But if you're looking for a, a medium sort of um, segment similar to supercars, you don't really have the product range in the market anymore. Uh, I guess this is why we've got the um, the. Well, I guess Astra is going to be gone now, but the i30. Um, uh, focus and all that sort of stuff in the mm. in the other touring car um, competition sort of coming through now. It's it, then it becomes hatchback racing. I mean, it's it's probably going to be good racing. It's I, I haven't watched a lot of those rounds, but uh, yeah, there's nothing that's going to slot straight into it. Like you can't get back to those um, glory days E30 M3s and stuff anymore because yeah. I don't Look, I think there's a lot of that available in the modern market. They could always televise the um, Hyundai XL racing series. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that the entertainment value on there would be through the roof. That's for sure. Well, I do enjoy watching the 86s. Um, their class is quite good, um, but it's probably not enough. Like you don't, there's no, you don't have a dog in the fight because there's only one car to choose from. You know yeah. what I mean? There's no, yeah. there's no allegiance or loyalty or anything like that to pick no. a team. You're just sort of running for a driver. Um, which I guess that's fine. It's similar to F1, really, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's a strange grey area. It's just give everybody a base car and just go go nuts with the budget and and you know here's a couple of components you have to keep, but everything else you can develop to the nth degree and just see what happens. You know, and then think about <laughs> regulations later on. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to see S five thousand get up and make some noise, but um, yeah, obviously it's been like more of a support race than a than a series on its own yeah i imagine the cost of getting of standing that series up would be um pretty prohibitive um yeah strange times i did i can't see a future for supercars at the moment i guess half because they haven't communicated to us what their future is going to be Mm. um post commodore but yeah that's the challenge i don't think they know I think um, their their leadership is spending a lot of time talking to teams and talking to uh, manufacturers to try and figure out a, a path out. Um, because yeah, I, it look things have changed a lot for that category of which the cars sit in um, as well. So yeah, that's that's why even the Utes category moved to um, four drive Utes because you know that. 
that again changed and they adapted to that. Um, and they're yeah, changing think- again to try to move, put V8s in them because the diesel thing just didn't get the fans enthralled. I mean, it was great yeah. racing. I really enjoyed it. But yeah. to get back to the, behind the fans, and that's now been pushed to was to be later this year and will probably now move into next year with everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, at least in this time frame with nothing happening, they can at least be trying to plan and yeah. talk and have these conversations about mm-hmm. what the next generation of, yeah. of um, you know, uh, of what they're thinking will be the next, the next, um, basically design. You know what? I'd I'd, I'd be could. happy with a I'd be happy with a variety hour. You know what I mean? Like having <laughs> uh, the support races. So you have your your muscle car masters, the eighty six Aussie race cars, and I don't know, pick another one. But those are the those are the ones I'd I'd be happy to go and watch on a on a mm. race day. Mm. Look, uh, it could be SUV supercars before you know it with a Kona N and, um, you know, (laughs) X3M and everything, I think. uh, Who knows? Well, as long as... As long as they, when they do a pit stop, they have to do a um, a crash test dummy baby change in the back seat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Quick release isofix seats. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, but look, uh, I think we'll have to again just wait. It's all, I feel like some of these big things at the moment. It's always been wait and see. And um, supercars is just going to be one of those other things. Um, Channel Ten will be the the biggest one, um, and then seeing if anybody else will pick it up. Who knows? It could go back to to Channel Seven if they get a good enough, um, you know, carrot on the stick for them to to pick it up at a discounted rate. Um, but yeah. look, uh, so we'll, we'll wrap it up here. But what have you got on uh, this week, uh, Joel? Uh, this week, uh, it's a little bit of a quieter week for me. I've got a few mm-hmm. projects I'm working on, and but um, I think we're all waiting for at the moment for us to see what happens with um, restrictions lifting, possibly as early as Monday for us. So, yeah, who knows what this week will uh, will hold moving ahead. I've got some clients asking about some stuff, and uh, but I think we're all waiting to see what happens with um, with restrictions lifting at the moment. Well, uh, hopefully, hopefully, some good news <laughs> for you then. Mm. Uh, in that regard, what I about hate you? Laugh Nick? at the Victorian. I hate you laughing then, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm actually excited about picking up a V6 Camry. Call me mm. weird, but I don't know the last which, time I could say which that. Which model? Uh, which spec level, mate? Uh, the blue one. <laughs> I'm not sure, <laughs> but but I mean, it's I love V6s. V6s are actually my preferred engine. I prefer them over V8s because, you know, I'm feeding kids, so I don't want to have to feed eight hungry kids. Six hungry yeah. kids is fine. Yeah. Um, a little bit more power, linear power delivery. I know that these V6s rev nicely and um, yeah, and, well. and feed the power nicely. Yep. I actually quite liked the Sportivo um, Orion, which had terrible seats and a foot-operated park brake. But um, the Australian tuning of the suspension was incredibly hard. They're like the last version of them, it's like they just went, oh, we'll just throw everything at this. I actually really liked that, even though it was front-wheel drive and I prefer rear-wheel drive. So I'm excited to get in the Camry and uh, give that a bit of a um, – um, I can't think of the right word to say and still be politically correct. Um, but I should be cutting more laps once our range goes out to 150 kilometres. <laughs> I'll be doing my 942-kilometre circular lap and keeping within 150 kilometres of my home. Um, so, yeah, I'll report back 
probably won't be doing much dirt road stuff, <laughs> but I intend to have a lot of fun, a bit of fun with the Camry. So, yeah, nice. should be interesting. And yourself, cool. uh, what are you up to, uh, Ash? Yeah, so obviously continuing with the uh, the Grand Via until uh, Friday next week. So um, obviously won't be. Uh, f- mm. It's it's hard to fill up eight seats when you only got four people in your family and uh, you can't really pick anybody else up easily. So um, I think everybody will be playing a few musical chairs um, and uh, fire drill, hop out and pick a random yeah. seat and see who ends up where. <laughs> um, but then also uh, halfway through the week, I pick up uh, the M. M235i Grand Coupe from BMW. Um, oh, interesting. So the, the 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 driving restrictions lifting on the Saturday probably couldn't have better at a hap- couldn't have happened at a better time for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm very much looking forward to, and I've already got a group of um, group of people who are organising a drive on the Sunday. Um, they've worked out exactly where all the good roads are. Within that 150 kilometer circumference, oh, right. yep. and I've uh, gone. I think we're going to hit most of them up on the Sunday. Um, so it's. Uh, I think it's going to be a nice, um, nice week of of some very different cars. But um, mm. so far, I have high hopes <laughs> for the weekend. Yeah, challenge yourself with the with the with the Granvia. Like, have a look at some gaps that you think you won't fit in, and then try and fit in them. Because I was surprised at what you could do with it. Mm. considering it's such a big box but um yeah very interested yeah, well, to hear about the m235 as well so yeah me too it's um for both i think uh, i have i have high hopes given that the m235i some have said that it's basically a, a mini john cooper works um under the hood so no it's, bad uh, thing no, no, not at all. Um, and I've got a friend of mine who's um, very keen on the JCWs. Uh, he's got a Cooper right. S at the moment. And um, he's like, oh, I really want to see how that compares because um, obviously a bit of a price difference, but um, how they how they put that together in that particular car obviously is a little bit different to how the, the Mini handles it. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be interesting. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm – actually excited more than what I really probably should be for the Grand Via to, to get out there and be <laughs> driving it. I think it's like, yeah, small compact car, you go, yeah, that's fine. I you know, you can handle it. But yeah, Anyone when you get to be a little bit different, you're like, oh cool, yeah, this is something I really want to get to know and and play with because yeah, it's different. It's fun. Oh getting getting out of that high seat and stepping down, it's like Mad Max getting out of the rig and you just turn <laughs> yeah. up to hold that tanker. Like I do when hopping in the patrol. Yeah, no, no chance. No chance. <laughs> no, it's got a good a good opening and exit in that thing. It's actually amazing. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, thanks again, guys. Uh, so if you if you want to follow uh, any of these people, uh, great gentlemen we've got on the show, uh, Joel Stricken at Joel Strick Photo, um, and of course Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech. Uh, make sure you follow them. That always uploading great content um, and insights. Um, I'm Ashley Perkins. You can uh, follow me at Daily Auto Fix, and um, make sure that yeah, if you have any questions, send them in at shows at dailyautofix.com. You can always you know send us a tweet or, or message via Instagram, um, and we'll pick it up there as well. Don't forget we've got our Belkin in car tech um, pro- competition going on at the moment. We've got uh, I've got a lot of entries to sort through. I've got to really sit down and sort them out but make sure you get your entry in um it ends at the end of this month and we'll draw it out um uh, and we'll let people know 
it's a it's a good pack, particularly if you're going back and, and driving. Uh, we've got some Belkin. We've got some good accessories for in the car, and um, of course, uh, dailyautofix.com for for some news. We'll also post up the the show notes on there, and um, yeah, I think I think that's it for this week. Thanks again, gentlemen. All right, thanks for having us. Thank you. We'll, we'll see you all next week.